What we're going to do this evening is we're just going to dream a little bit about how this season could potentially look around here. Um, I was listening a lot to Shane Claiborne this week, and he was speaking about in Philadelphia how there was a, a, a mother, and she, she went through a separation from her husband and ended up on the streets with her children and was having a hard time finding shelter and found this old, giant Catholic church. And the doors happened to be propped open, but it was completely abandoned. And she moved in, and as her friends, or her, sorry, her kids had it, they went and told all their friends about this place, and before long, the whole church was taken over by mothers and children that had been off the streets in Philadelphia. And a lot of the different press in Philadelphia found out about it, and they had a huge headline in the newspaper that says, Church Resurrected. And they went there, and they found there was a whole beautiful community, this whole structure. People were interested again in this church. But as the word got out to the press, the archdiocese evicted them. But they wouldn't leave, and there was a bit of like a struggle in the press over getting them out of the church and them wanting them out. So what they did is they went to the fire marshal and had the fire marshal evict them. The fire marshal said it's not safe, and they gave them a note that said, we're coming back in three days, and you're going to have to be out by then. Well, one night early, at about midnight, there was a knock on the door, and when one of the moms opened the door, it was all these firefighters, and she was so upset. She said, all the kids are sleeping. You can't come at midnight, and the men just had these huge grins on their faces, and they walked in with fire extinguishers and exit signs, and they completely retrofitted the whole place. They said, the fire marshal's coming in the morning. You're going to be ready, (laughs) and they spent all their own money And they got the place up to code. Smoke detectors, everything. The next morning, the press shows up with the fire marshal. They open the door, and they cannot find anything wrong with the building. And they were allowed to stay. Man, this is Christmas, isn't it? Those firefighters, they said, were absolutely beaming. They were just so full of life. What's really cool is that those firemen came back with their families on a regular basis and just had meals They just live life together. They just had beautiful community. I love this. Listen to what St. Irenaeus says. He says, The glory of God is man fully alive. This is the goal of God in your life and my life is just life being just complete. This is what God wants for us. He wants this for you. He wants this for our Christmas. But sometimes it looks a little bit different than we think. See, Mother Teresa died in 1997. And at her funeral, she wore her classic white robe that we all know her from. This is is her at her funeral. But something really interesting about her funeral is that her feet were completely exposed. The nuns had intentionally kept her feet open for the world to see them. And there's a lot of story that we've talked about here in the past at Pursuit. But her feet were totally mutilated. This is what they looked like. Somebody was able to take a picture of her feet. When shipments came in for shoes, she'd be the first one to get them, and she would take the worst pair so that no one else would have to have those shoes. And it just absolutely destroyed her feet. And those feet became a picture of her life. This was her glory. She lived lived for others, and... And at her funeral, they were there for all to see. Just full display. This is how it is to live. 
One day, Mother Teresa was walking along the streets of Calcutta, and this man approached her, running after her, and, and got up to her, and he was about to get married that same day in about two hours from this meeting, and he said, I've been looking everywhere for you. And he knelt down, and he kissed her feet. It's right there in the middle of Calcutta. See, earlier, Mother Teresa had taken him in. He'd been brought in dying from hunger and tuberculosis, and she brought him in and saved his life and taught him how to shine shoes. And it got him off the streets, and it got him into a life, and now he was getting married, and he just wanted to kiss her feet. This was her glory. And this man's life was saved for her, by her, sorry. You see, this is a completely different way to live. I want you to just consider right now three people on earth, not celebrities, but people that you personally know that you really admire. Think about them. Just in your head, three people. You're thinking, okay, I look up to that person, that person, that person. Who are they? Three people. I would bet that the common denominator between all three would be generosity. <laughs> that we, that we love generosity in others. That it's our generosity that gives us any sort of authority. It's our generosity that reveals the love of God. It is the thing that makes us more divine than anything else. And if we get this right, then we will be fully alive. This is exactly what St. Irenaeus is talking about, but it looks so different. Would you guys grab your Bibles? We're going to go to the book of Mark, the second book in the New Testament. And we're going to go to chapter 10. This is a really wonderful story, but it appears harsh. Really misunderstood. Let's read it together. Verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is a very famous encounter that Jesus had with this man known as the rich young ruler. And three huge things are happening here that we often overlook. For starters, he looked at him and he loved him. Verse 21 Before Jesus even spoke, he looked at him just with incredible love. We think, Jesus, you're being so harsh. Like, get rid of everything. Why are you such a jerk to this guy? It's not what was happening here. He was was speaking to him out of love, this desire for him to be fully alive. He wasn't trying to make him miss out or be a bummer or have him live like a poor man. He was just saying, I love you. And then he gave this command. The second thing is that this man left sad. And this is an important distinction here. The Greek word here is this, lipomenius. It's a really important word in the Greek. You got that, Matthew? There you go. 
It means living in grief and sorrow. It doesn't mean that he was sad that, that, that he went away from Jesus or that he was upset that this happened. This is a permanent stature of his heart, that he's permanently sad. He's permanently living in sorrow. This isn't just a temporary thing. This guy is sad. Jesus looked at him and loved him. This guy went away sad and continued to be sad because he previously was sad. He wasn't a happy guy, and Jesus reveals why. He starts listing the Ten Commandments in order. The first five commandments are about how to love God. The second five are about how to love each other. And that's where Jesus starts. He says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. But then he skips the last one. And he says, this is what you lack. The next commandment is do not covet. And he does not go there. He says, this is what you lack. You kept the first four, but the fifth you've been neglecting. You covet. Coveting is wanting what you don't have. Coveting is never being content with your present situation. So let's talk about Christmas for a minute. We give gifts to our kids and friends and family because we love them. That's why we do it. I don't think anyone here has kind of got a selfish attitude about Christmas. But we do it because we love them and we want to see them happy. But inadvertently, this excess leads each other astray, doesn't it? In Kelowna, we spend way too much and rack up crazy debt and we communicate to our kids and our friends that it's consumerism that makes us happy. And it doesn't. See, this guy was not happy. He was living in despair and grief and sorrow because he was a coveting guy. It makes us discontent. China is a fascinating real-time experiment in wealth and prosperity. 20 years ago, they went from a developing country to a financial superpower, and we're for the first time witnessing the rise of a huge middle class with a lot of money. This is unprecedented. And they found that suicide and depression have increased at the same rate as their financial growth. It has absolutely shocked them. In 2011, a two-year-old girl named Wang Yu was separated from her mom while she was doing laundry at a laundromat. And she walked out into the street and a white van ran her over. And the guy looked out of his window and saw the girl underneath his van and continued to drive and ran her over with his back tires. This is all on closed-circuit television. And what happened next was astounding. People walked by her, and they were so busy, they just left her. This is a two-year-old girl laying in the street. A huge truck comes up and sees her in the middle of the road, bleeding, dying, and decides to go around her and runs over her legs. For seven minutes, a busy street, people just walked by and just went by her. This obviously went viral on YouTube in China. And people in China were absolutely appalled at their own behavior. They started this national stop apathy campaign. They said that they're so obsessed with getting ahead, they're so distracted that their hearts are becoming so numb to needs around them. I see this in Kelowna as well. You see, six years ago there was a study that came out and we were shocked that we spend $450 billion on Christmas. 
That's a lot of money. They say that $30 billion would end world hunger, and we spend $450 billion. Okay, wrap those numbers around your head. We spend many times more at Christmas than it would take to stop world hunger. It's one of those situations where we're seeing kids that are hurt and just ignoring it and just going about our business. What's shocking is that that was six years ago, and it's not $450 billion anymore. It's $1 trillion. That is $1,000 billion on Christmas. It would only take $10 million a year, sorry, $10 billion to get water to the whole planet. A tiny fraction of what we spend. And what they found is that within six months, half of our presence will be in the landfill. Think about that. Do you guys remember what you got last year for Christmas? Think about what lasted past six months. Half of it. And they say that within five years, everything from Christmas will be in the landfill. That's crazy. I mean, every computer and iPhone, everything will be in the landfill, won't it? Most of our clothing, pretty much everything. So it's $1 trillion of waste. Just straight waste every Christmas. William Law, a theologian, puts it this way. It's like keeping from the poor to buy poison for ourselves. Because Jesus says that if you're greedy and covetous, that your whole body will be filled with darkness. But if you're generous, then your whole body will be filled with light, he says. He says that you will actually have life that is abundant, when, and generosity seems to be the key that unlocks that door. This is why Mother Teresa's feet are her glory. I really believe that, that we as a church can say, kind of the trajectory of Christmas is not, it's not what God had in mind. And we can actually do something about it. It's time to really dream big about this. See, we represent the richest 5% of people that have ever lived. Like with our money, there's like great opportunity, but also great accountability. The fact that we have so much is such a great opportunity, but I really believe that we're accountable to that. It can go for tremendous waste. I'm going to invite you guys like straight up to just spend much less this Christmas. Like what if we spent a third of what we presently spend on gifts for each other? Like a third. They say that the average household spends about $1,000 in gifts. What if that number was $333? Just much less. And what if with the other third, we were just insanely generous with that? You might have noticed that we have the Boys and Girls Club Big Give. I really love that. I really think that we can do a lot with that. In Kelowna, there's a lot of working poor. I know a lot of really struggling people that could just really benefit from me not having more garbage and them having the ability to live. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, look around. Think about that. If you need help finding people, I would really love to help you with that. I just don't really feel good about the fact that there's so many kids in Kelowna that wake up with no presents, while my kids wake up with like 40. It just doesn't seem right. As I, The church was a big center of redistribution. The year of Jubilee was this beautiful concept that the people never really did. And what it did was that it canceled everyone's debts. 
and it redistributed land back to the original families. But the Jewish nation never really celebrated Jubilee because of greed and covetousness. And as a result, there were so much needs amongst them. But when the Holy Spirit came and the church was alive, there was just this massive redistribution that I really believe the church needs to be a part of. And so alongside of that, just imagine if we just were a people that supported and loved our church. Like God has, the church is the chosen instrument of God to reach the world. It's what he designed originally. I mean, the early church, what they did is they went to new cities and the disciples immediately planted churches, elders boards. They empowered people. They're like, this is God's chosen method. What if we just said, I'm going to just cut back by giving and I'm going to start actually giving regularly to my church. This was a big, a big act of faith in our marriage when we said, we're going to actually give monthly to our church. I really believe that that's obedience. That's how it looks. And imagine being crazy generous with your time. You see, if we spent so much less and just gave away our time instead, it's what people really want. I found this really cool video, and this lady had her birthday. And instead of people buying her gifts and spending money on something that they just, you know, I have to buy her a gift. So what am I going to buy? Oh, let's just, it, it wasn't out of obligation. It was from the heart. I want you to watch this. It's so cool. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you some breaking news. Please listen very, very carefully. Breaking news just in, Iris Howard is celebrating her birthday. <laughs> Commonly known for winning the best NAN competition after 10 years in a row, the 86-year-old is often described as an incredible person and loved by all her friends and family. Time now to hear some birthday messages. Hi, Nan, it's Steve here. I hope you're having a great birthday. I look really forward to seeing you for a meal later. Hi, Nan, it's Liz, your favourite grandchild. Apparently it's your birthday today. Um, I'm not sure, but remember, you might look a day older than 21. Woo! Happy birthday, Iris! Hey Nan, it's Vicky here. Just want to say a massive happy birthday. Hope you have a fantastic day. Lots of love, Vicky. Happy birthday! Hi Iris, from the middle of the four in Mandra, we'd all like to wish you a happy birthday. Happy birthday! Love you! Happy birthday, Iris. It's your new addition to the family, your granddaughter Hannah. Hope you have a wonderful day like you deserve. Lots of love. Happy birthday, Nan. Love from Robert. Nice to show you. Hope you have a great birthday. Probably won't be there for it. Lots of love, Phil. Hi, Mum. Pat here. Hope you have a lovely birthday. Sorry I couldn't be there. I'm on holiday. But you know what my husband's like. He's very demanding. Anyway, you have a great time. Don't give in to peer pressure with these youngsters. Don't let them lead you astray. You have a great time. And I'll speak to you when we get back. Love you. There you go. I thought we'd get some birthday messages on for you. <laughs> Thank you. Do you like them? <laughs> yeah? I said it would... I would shoot myself up. Man! Don't get emotional. I can't help it. 
I was gutted about one person in particular because I know you're close to your brother and he's in Australia. And I really, I tried to get him. Like we, we spent weeks trying to get hold of him, but we just couldn't sort of get a recording. And like the logistics of it and just being like technical, we couldn't do it. Yeah. But so a bit gutted about that. Um, but you could, I guess, we try another radio station, shall we? <laughs> Let's try another one. Here we go. Happy birthday, Liz. Happy birthday, Iris. I would like to thank the radio station for allowing me to send this message. I would also like to tell this little story. When I was a young fellow, my dear sister used to take me to the river to feed the ducks. When she was here in Australia a couple of years ago, she told me she had to stop taking me because of my bad language. <laughs> I explained to her that I was saying ducks and ducklings, as any well-brought-up young fellow would. Kay and I would also like to wish you all the best, Liz, and hope you have a great time with the family. There you go. <laughs> we just wanted to, to show you how much you mean to us. Oh. But I didn't want to upset you on your birthday. <laughs> I feel guilty now. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you guys love that. I love that. I really think uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. <laughs> um, I really believe that this could be the greatest Christmas that we had. What people treasure is our presence, our actual, like, our, our attention. Time. In 2006, uh, a shooter entered this one-room schoolhouse full of Amish girls, and he shot many of them. And it was this massive tragedy, like little girls, and and the world was was asking so many questions about how they were going to respond. That the guy also took his own life, and these Amish families got together and they decided that that they were going to just lavish mercy upon his family and so they showed up to his parents house and prayed for them and brought them meals every night they just kept showing up with meals and they their son killed their families and when it was time for his funeral they just thought this is the worst guy no one's going to be there the whole Amish community showed up and as just their support and their forgiveness presence is incredibly powerful and we get to do this. Christmas is about one thing. I want you to think about what that, what that is, is. Is God came to be with us. Christmas is the incarnation, God with flesh. He came to be with us. That's why he came. He came intentionally as, as humble as possible. One pastor showed up to church on Christmas Eve, and it was beautifully decorated with, like, golden decorations and the church looked wonderful and he felt God saying like you need to change this before service he tore everything down he went to a farm and he grabbed hay and he spread it all over the stage and all in the pews and manure and he stuffed manure under all the pews and people came in and they're like what is this this is how he chose to come in the manure in the stench this was an intentional affront to the riches of the world. This was intentional, saying, I am not about all your stuff. 
I'm about something totally different. It was a rebellion against the pattern of this world. He came to be with us. I love this. Born as a refugee to a teenaged mom who didn't even have enough money to give the offering at the temple for the new child. This was intentional. The incarnation is about our presence, and we get to reflect that in how we spend our Christmas. If our gifts are simply all about stuff, then it's the opposite of what he did. Make this Christmas about your presence. Like, handwritten letters, trust me, are worth way more than any gift you could give. People care more about you than the stuff you give. I heard of this family who hands out cinnamon rolls in their neighborhood and just go door to door and hand out cinnamon rolls and the cute little kids sing Christmas carols. (laughs) That's awesome. One group of little girls wrote memories to their grandparents so that they would have one every Monday morning for the whole year. So they, they, every morning, they, Monday morning, they'd start the week off just with a, a memory, something they loved about their grandparents. So cool. Some other girls brought cookies to firefighters and just said, thank you for what you do. There's so much we can do that brings so much meaning. You see, we need to reclaim Christmas. Jesus came and made it very intentionally humble and about a different kingdom and about presence, and he says, sorry, presence, not T-S-C-E, and, and he intentionally made it something really, really rebellious against the pattern of the world. It's actually a crazy thought that Jesus looks at us just like that rich young ruler and loves us and leads us away from coveting because it will lead to despair in our lives. Like, if we believe and buy into consumerism, we're going to be messed up. It makes us miserable. Let's stop filling the landfill. Do you guys see what I'm saying? I don't want everything under my tree to be in the dump. What a waste. We can do wonderful things with our money and with our time. He came to be with us. Let's let's make this holiday about that. So... We're going we're gonna to worship, and, and as we do that, you know, God's just going to speak, like, just vision into you for this holiday. Just, it can be so full of life. It could be so wonderful and so beautiful. And come January, when everyone else has credit card debt they're paying off, you could have much less credit card debt to be paying off. <laughs> Why don't we pray? And we're going to take communion, and, uh, And this is just a beautiful symbol we get to do every week of just coming back to Jesus and just laying stuff down and just reorienting ourselves with with the cross and with the gospel and what he has called us to do in this beautiful life that he's allowed us to live in. You see, his glory is that we live fully alive. That's what he wants for me and for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you come and, and you speak truth, God, that is from the storehouse of wisdom, God, that you created us and you know us, God. God, I thank you for those who've gone before us. God, I think of that, those Amish families who just gave us such a beautiful example, God. I thank you for Mother Teresa, God, and her, her feet that were her glory, God, that at her funeral were left uncovered for the world to see that this is how you live, that you created us to be generous, God. And, and when we are generous, we're fully alive, God. You say that 
if we want to be first, if we want to be great, that we must become the very last. That's why you came in the humblest way possible. God, you came to get into all of our garbage. You came to just be with us, God. I pray that that we wouldn't miss the holiday for what you intended. That we wouldn't so be caught up in busyness that we miss each other. That we wouldn't be so caught up in consumerism that we don't see the needs of people around us like we witnessed in China, God. Father, we, we thank you that you invite us into a greater life, God, that's different than this world. Jesus, we receive it. We trust you. Thank you, Jesus.